As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. <clears throat> you got a plane to catch, I, I guess. Yeah, flying that I think it's not till 4.50. Okay, okay. But I'm I'm expecting this to take a bit more than one hour, perhaps. Fine. Yeah. But but like I said, let me know if you need a <coughs> if you need a break. I really love the North Face Speaker series, where selected North Face athletes from the international team tours the world and inspires their audience. For me, these are also excellent opportunities to expand my list of international names in my gallery. My name is Magnus Ormestad and this is the Swedish outdoor podcast Husky. Andy Hausman would probably describe himself as just a normal guy who loves climbing and loves mountains. But Andy with his team got nominated for the Piole d'Or or the Golden Ice Axe back in 2010. And for those of you who don't know, well, you don't end up being nominated if you're just a normal guy. So please join me and Andy for a talk about his background, how he got into alpinism and the Link SAR project. Husky is made possible thanks to Naturkompaniet and it is powered by Nordic Green Energy, Sweden's greenest energy company with 100% renewable energy sourced from solar, wind and hydropower. Find them at nordicgreen.se. Welcome to episode 25 of the Husky International series and a long interview with the British alpinist Andy Hausman. If you want to know more about this episode and of previous episodes, please head over to huskypodcast.com or find me on Facebook and Instagram at the handle huskypodcast. 
Was it, is it um, the first time in, in Stockholm? Yeah, my first time in Sweden. First time in Sweden. So. Because I saw, I saw on... Um, so on your Instagram, ah, yes. a picture like flying into Stockholm. Yeah, yeah. You, you said something about like wishing that you had time to check out the trails and, and yeah, the scenery. Yeah, it's a bit of a shame to say first time I come to Sweden and I've got literally one night in a yeah. hotel in yeah. Stockholm. <laughs> um, it's a bit, I guess, it's a bit like when people come to London for work for a day, you don't actually yeah. see any of the actual country. Or, but yeah, and no. that's a good thing with Stockholm actually because you, we've got a. It's not a big city, but it is a city, and and the nature is very close. Yeah. So actually, 10 to 20 minutes from here, you have like proper trails for running. Yeah. And even climbing and, and swimming, of course, and kayaking and so on. So it's it's very the nature is always present in a way. Yeah. No, I think had I um I was really busy at work, so I couldn't come out any earlier. And I've got a, a friend's wedding at the weekend, so I basically I had literally two days. So if if not, I'd have liked to. Um, come out for either a couple of days earlier, a day late and spent a bit of time around. But I, uh, because I was actually thinking about that, biking into to, to this interview, is that, a, is that a problem for you sometimes to kind of, once you go abroad, it's either for stuff like this, the North Face Speaker Series, so it's kind of a work event, or it is for more massive climbing expeditions or climbing trips so you don't have the luxury of like going back to say if you wanted to go back to Stockholm for like a weekend or two or three days to go a bit of, of I don't know see the city but also go out and, 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 and enjoy the nature that is kind of a luxury that you can't afford when it comes to the, your time your schedule yeah I guess I mean for me just normal holidays are important as well mm. so I, I'm not a full-time climber so I've got you know full-time job as well and um, and I've got a lovely girlfriend as well, so we need to get the we need to get the, <laughs> get the proper holidays in as well. So I, th- I think I do not all my time isn't just extreme expeditions. You know, I do a lot. Of, most of the time, I'm just doing normal stuff that that you, everybody else, just whether it's out running, out road biking, climbing. Yeah, doing a lot of just normal stuff as well, and it's. But you get, but you get the rope sling sling over you, and you got the crampons on. So, is <laughs> yeah, that just yeah. an image? That's just the, that's just that's just the the, the image they portray. You know, <laughs> the hero shots. <laughs> yeah. No, but it's but it is possible for you to just. Oh, yeah, I to do it. like just yeah. what you said, going on a. Go on in it, enjoy it, and yeah. experience a place for what it hmm. for what it is, and not not go just with a purpose of a specific goal in mind. Yeah, no, I like I like that as well. I like lazy days of not doing much and just drinking coffee and taking <laughs> taking in the sight. <laughs> um, where are you from? So I'm from Yorkshire, which is in North England. Um, just a really small village called Darley. Um, nearest town's a place called Harrogate, and it's really it's just on the edge of the Yorkshire Dales. So it's really, really, really nice countryside. Just rolling, like you were saying earlier, just rolling hills like Sweden. Very similar to yeah. the Swedish mountain range. No, um, there's no big mountains to go alpine climbing in, but we've got loads of really good rock climbing. Mm. Um, the road biking's really taking off, and yeah, just get, it's really close to get out running. Yeah, cause and, straight out for my door on and, trails. And that's where you uh, where you live today as well. Yeah, that's where I live now. I was born there and mm. live there now. I've moved away, and I've just always come. I've spent time living away. Like spent quite a lot of time in Chamonix, living for the winters. But now I live back there. I've got a family business with my dad. So, but is is that um, like was the nature there a big part of? Uh, of course, nature there was a big part of, of shaping you. But that's the kind of that's what what brings you back. Yeah, like the nature. Yeah, I think I've always been a not necessarily just the nature, but just the outdoors. You know, a lot of my mates when I was growing up at school, they'd go and hang out in 
in the nearest town on a Saturday, whereas I'd be f- floating down the river on a tractor tire. Me and my mates have blown up and things <laughs> like that, you know, and that sort of thing. That's always I've always been attracted to that side of life rather than the the city life. I think, uh, and yeah, just like being outdoors. But did that come from your parents? Um, I think so. Mainly, like none of my parents aren't into climbing or anything like that. Um, but they're all from farming backgrounds. So and working outside, whether it's you know in haul industry farming. So um, I think yeah, they've always instilled just not not on purpose, but just the way of country life is. It's it's about being outdoors and oh, picking berries and mushrooms. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like they're not. You know, my, my parents aren't environmentalists or no. yeah, outdoorsy people, but they they like being outdoors mm. and they yeah, mm. um, So yeah, I think I think it's more just the. The situation I grew up in, the where we lived, it was you were outdoors. You know, there wasn't much. It's a small village. There wasn't really any places to go hang out. So if you wanted to go play with your mates, you were messing about outside, yeah. which is great. Running around with a stick in your hand. Yeah, yeah. And I think I, um, you know, I used to be really jealous of my friends that would go and hang out at McDonald's on a Saturday lunchtime, and I couldn't get into town to do that. Uh, but looking back now, I'm so actually, fortunate. I, I, I was really fortunate. <clears throat> you don't appreciate like a lot of things. You no. don't. You maybe don't appreciate it at the time, but you look back and think, well, actually, yeah, I didn't really miss out on much. I had a, yeah, <laughs> I definitely had the better, the better deal there. <laughs> um, do you know what it was? Was in a kind of element of this could be that could this could sound a bit cliche, but but do you think that there was kind of a, a, a an element of adventure or a dream of adventures that kind of like attracted you in all of that? Um, I said, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it's not like I never had a defining moment. I was like, right, I want to go climbing, explore the mountains. I think I've just always been. I don't know why. Um, and you often get asked that question. You know, when you when you do an interview, you can say, what what drew you to it? I I haven't actually come up with an answer for it yet. <laughs> it's just I just I just love being outdoors in the mountains. And um, for me, it was a natural progression from hill walking. With scouts when I was younger. Hey, you were you were a boy scout. Yeah, I was a boy scout. Um, it was great. We had an amazing scout leader. Yeah. It was really good fun. It wasn't your average scouts. It was just a bunch of lads having having a good laugh. And yeah, we did a bit of hill walking in the Lake District and that. Did you learn some like bushcraft skills? Yeah, and learn how to light a fire. And, yeah. you know, tie a few knots, and we used to just make mad big structures. And yeah, um, yeah. and yeah, we did quite a bit of walking and stuff. We used to have, uh, with that, and I guess from that I got into. Um, there's loads of climbing around me, but I say none of my parents or friends climb, but kind of just somehow got into it. My maths teacher at, uh, when, at school had a big uh, poster of Dan Osmond on the wall doing the big crucifix, just sailing, and, and he lent me, uh, lent me some books about climbing and took me to the local climbing wall, and I guess I got into that, and then really at university started climbing properly. So I was quite, you know, compared yeah, to some late, people, late, I was quite late. Late bloomer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I think we, every year, so like we... As a family, we'd go skiing once a year or every every other year. Where did you to, go then? Uh, we often went to Austria. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I've always been been in the mountains one way or another, and that's I think that's where they're just the the draw for it. But. Uh, but did you find like early on kind of a talent for climbing, or was it more like the the fact that you liked it? I just liked it. I just mm-hmm. enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I wasn't. I just first started rock climbing. I wasn't a super talented rock climber or anything. Just an average. Go out with my mates, have have good fun. We go up to the Peak District. I was at um, Nottingham University, so we we're really close to Peak District, Derbyshire. So I'd spend a lot just out there at weekends, and yeah, no, I wasn't super talented or anything. Just in. But you started indoors, and then you went like 
climbing outdoors, climbing Yeah, walls. so I mainly, I think, mainly started outdoors, really, just messing okay. about the local yeah. crags. Bit, a bit of both, outdoors and indoors. Uh, but predominantly just climbed outdoors. Um, unlike, you know, I see a lot of people now that come into it, and I think it, it's great what climbing walls have done for the sport. They've just, they've definitely attracted a lot of people to it that wouldn't necessarily have got into climbing. Um, it's especially really now if you look the, look at the development now it seems like it's like bouldering is like super trendy yeah. and it's yeah. like all the major cities and they got beautiful amazing climbing walls and now it's it's a it's becoming or it may become part of the olympics like the yeah speed it's part climbing. of the it's part of the olympics for yeah. is it 2020 or 20 yeah 2020 in yeah, tokyo is it like i can't remember which year but yeah i mean for you know i'm not that involved in that side of climbing but i still for me personally, I still love rock climbing, mm-hmm. and it's great. And my, my local climbing wall in Harrogate, it's great to see some of the... When that first started, there was a lot of people just started bouldering there that never climbed outdoors, and now they're actually really keen, really keen boulders, really, really, you know, super strong. <laughs> and, yeah, it's mate, you can see... It's interesting to see that progression of people coming through the climbing walls. And Was the, uh, the social part of your development as a climber, was that as important as anything else? Like the fact that you were doing it with your with your friends. Yeah, I think I think that's for me. Climbing and friendship go they kind of go hand in hand. You know, I I only go away on expeditions with people I'm really good mates with. I'm not I'm not interested on going if Joe Bloggs is a really good climber. Let's never met. Let's just go and try this mountain. For me, you've got to go away with one of you, and that's like yeah. I've only got a few. There's only a few people I've done expeditions with, and they've all been really good mm-hmm. friends. And I think that's. That's you know you've got it because you spend so much time with them. Yeah. If you don't get on with someone, you, you yeah, we we actually gonna we're gonna return to that actually because that's a topic that I want to talk about you, talk talk with about you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but you 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 had um. You said you got books from your math teacher and so on. Yeah. About climbing, and you I read somewhere that you you, um, you got <clears throat> you had these people as role models. Um. You had a you had you had British climbers as as, as kind of house guards or role models, uh, Joe Tasker, Peter Boardman, Alex McIntyre. Yeah, and they were kind of um, pioneers when it comes to uh, alpine style, like kind of the light and fast trend. Yeah, definitely. So I think I, I started by um, we'll say borrowing books from the school library. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I returned them. All, actually. <laughs> Um, some of them might still be on my bookshelf. Um, yeah, and a lot of them were like the Chris Bonington's books, and I get—I just found it really inspiring reading about their trips to the Greater Ranges. And I didn't know anything about alpine climbing at that time, so you know, I got into reading about that. And at that stage, um, with the, the tricks that, that Chris Bonington was leading, it was still very much climbing in a siege style. So there'd be a big team of maybe twelve climbers, and they'd slowly work their way up the mountain, you know, fix ropes, camps, hammering in, and, hammering yeah, in the... and fixing the lines, fixing the camps. And, and to me, I, yeah, I didn't know anything about climbing at that time, so that was just, I thought that was just the way it, it happened. Mm. And, but it was really interesting reading about the, the stories from back in the, you know, the 60s when they're doing that. But then as I got more and more into climbing and learned more about the whole sport of alpinism, um, this is before I actually did any alpine climbing, you, you kind of realised that, that was the, the times had progressed a lot since then. And, and it was the likes of Alex McIntyre, uh, you know, Pete Bourne, Doug Scott, that, that started taking um, the Alpine style to the to the greater ranges. And yeah, some of the stuff that Alex McIntyre and those guys did is just yeah, it's really impressive what they how they changed the way of thinking 
which is how we we all climb nowadays. Um, and yeah, it's just, yeah, I think there's been some really inspirational British figures. Um, lucky to know a few, not super well, but know a few of them like Andy Kay and stuff. And there's just super nice guys, and it's quite funny these guys that you've read about and you, you, you're really inspired and about, and you actually you're just standing around having a you, call, you, know, you almost call them a friend now, and it's it's nice, and they're just down to earth. Yeah, and I think that's a quite a big thing about the British scene. It's all pretty down to earth. There's no, yeah. there's not too many big egos or anything mm. there. It's just. I think it, it's a bit like that with the entire outdoor scene. Yeah, definitely. From my perspective, yeah. that it's uh, most of the people that you end up meeting, they are very uh, like we talked about Simona Mo- Simona Moro, for instance, yeah. before the interview, and, and once once you meet him, he's like a. a I wouldn't say normal guy, yeah. <laughs> but, but he's very, he's very he's very humble and he's very yeah. Uh, yeah it's it's a great guy. <clears throat> um, uh, but could could you could you say something about because I'm not a climber myself, but I know that British climbing history you you got a very rich tradition. Rich, in yeah, it. there's I think there's. Do you there's know where that? Where do you know where that stems from? I don't. I guess originally it was the the gentleman explorers back in the original day in the you know in the late in the colonial days. Yeah, in the colonial <laughs> days. Yeah, we, we probably shouldn't go to that. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, you know, I guess if you go right back to the start, it was a lot of the more well-to-do British gentlemen that were out in the Alps, and they they'd hire the local people to take them up, take them up mountains. But I guess my my actual knowledge of climbing history isn't that that great, but for me, I've followed it more from like the sixties onwards, yep. and I think that's a really that's a pretty impressive age for um, for British mountaineering, especially out in the European Alps, uh, you know, in Chamonix and around that area. A lot of the a lot of the classic routes were you know were climbed by Brits and stuff, and and it's I, I don't know what's I don't know why. Um, <clears throat> I think definitely the the type of climbing we do in the UK helps when you get out to the, the big mountains. We used to the, we used to try climbing. We used to Scotland. It's pretty you know, pretty bad weather. We used to <laughs> used to suffering in um, <laughs> you know, going out. If you if you if you wait till the good conditions and the good weather, you're not really going to get very much done. When it is sunny, it's pretty beautiful. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't. I'm not I'm not sure what's driven it. There's, I think there's just amongst the working class has been that. Definitely, there's been a big tradition with the with the clubs. It's like you read about all oh, the old um, rock and ice club and all those those clubs from back in the day. And yeah, I don't, I don't know what's driven that, but it's, it's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I'll probably not come up with the answer you want, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, these three names that I that I mentioned earlier: Tasker, Boardman, and McIntyre. I had no idea who they were, so I clicked into their w- Wikipedia pages. Yeah, and I found out that they all died. Young, yeah, they all died very <laughs> sadly, very yeah. young, and I think that's that's definitely one of the darker sides of the success of British alpinism in the Greater Ranges. There was definitely an era where there was a lot of climbers sadly getting yeah. getting killed because they were pushing, they were pushing the level, they're pushing the standard, they're pushing it a lot more than what I think it's been pushed recently. But I think the step they took back then of taking that alpine style. To the greater ranges was was a massive. It probably wasn't appreciated at the time, but it was an absolutely massive step forward. Mm. And yeah, I think they, the routes they were trying were were definitely a bit more objectively dangerous. 
Um, and yeah, it was, there's definitely been some, you, when you're reading Chris Bonington's books, sadly it was almost every expedition, you know, there was almost one climber that was, that was killed on them. And um, yeah, I, I think climbing is a dangerous sport. I mean, for me, I think that's one of the reasons why I haven't been as successful as I could have been with mountain trips I've been on. I've, I, I'm, I'm not willing to push it that little bit extra further that some people are. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I think you, you hear that some some people kind of say that a mountain's worth dying for. To me, it's just that's that, not a cat hell's chance. No, no way. Um, yeah, we're climbing mountains. It's great fun. It's a great personal achievement. We're not. You're not out there saving lives or anything. It's it is just climbing. It's mm. fun. It's great. It inspires people to do it, uh, and I get a lot of personal satisfaction from it. But I, I think I'm. I don't think my my risk acceptance levels are as big as some people. So that's probably one of the reasons I haven't been. Actually, yeah, I don't know. I'd call myself successful because I'm still here and I've had fun doing what I've been doing. But yeah, maybe why I haven't got up as many things as what I've tried. Um, and yeah, it is unfortunately is that yeah you are putting yourself in in dangerous situations. You try and minimise it, but when you get out to the out in the Himalayas on the big faces, if you're trying a new route, there's there's always going to be sections where you are under that serac for a couple of pitches, or you are in that big snowball. There's no way to avoid it we try and you know you spend ages trying to pick the safest line or try and you know the line with the least objective hazard but unfortunately there is always going to be that one little bit and you, you use your judgment and your experience to assess whether it's you know is it safeness is it justifiable risk and um yeah it's unfortunately it's the nature of the sport mm -hmm. i guess but you're just trying to avoid avoid all those objective hazards as much as you can uh from your position today where you are now um, with the knowledge you have, with the with the experience you have, uh, and also with the network and and the, the kind of the the friends that you surround yourself with, when it comes to the alpine world, the climbing world, I'm sure that you you unfortunately you you probably know a lot of people that's not with us today because yeah. of, because they have been uh, lost in the mountains. Um, it, do you think if you compare yourself now to maybe when you started? Like dreaming about this when you started climbing, do you think your your thoughts and and views on like death and mortality has it changed over the years, in some way? Um, I don't know. Cause you, you never go out thinking you're going to die, or of course not. You know, you never go out thinking I might not come back. Mm. You know, if if I <clears throat> if I'm starting up a route and I think I might not come back, then that that's the time you turn around. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's um. So I don't. You know, you never. I don't think of it like that. But definitely, you know, unfortunately, I've lost quite a few a few close friends in the mountains, and it does. I think it's a real. It brings a realization home. You kind of you know it's a dangerous sport, but then as you slowly get more and more into it, and you you know sadly you lose you, you hear of people and you know people who've been lost in the mountains. It, I think it just just it brings it home that how dangerous it is, and and then you you kind of think, well, is it really worth it? You know, because I say. It's great fun, it's amazing, but it is just climbing at the end of the day. And it does, but you know, life's about having fun, isn't it? So, you know, you can't, we can't ask those people if it's worth it. I'm sure they, you know, they, they hopefully think it, think it is, but I think it just, it just brings the reality home that it is, that it is quite a dangerous sport. And, and yeah, um, you just got to try and maximize the safety. And, yeah. But yeah, no, it is, I think, you know, when I first close friend I lost to climbing, it was a, 
it hit me a lot harder. You know, cause you, you hear of people being killed, but it's until you actually know someone personally that you suddenly, oh, shit, it can happen to me. Mm. Um, it's like, I guess, like in any illnesses and stuff, you know, if you... Yeah, I mean, you, you can't hear, get hit by a bus. Yeah, well, exactly. That's the thing, so you know, you've got to uh, live life for today. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm a strong believer in that as well. Mm. And you've got to, and as long as you're out there having fun, that's that's the main thing. And um, But everybody's idea of fun is different, isn't it? So that's, yeah. Um doing what you do of course you it takes a lot of it has taken and it takes a lot of a lot of time and energy and it takes a lot of time away from other things i guess now you, you like you're not a full-time climber you got a normal job in the family business but but do you feel that um would you say that you have had to sacrifice anything along the way in order to pursue these dreams that you have um yeah i think Yeah, whether sacrifice is the right word because I've wanted to pursue the dreams. Yeah, that's, so that's true. It's, it's not perhaps poor it's, choice of words. Yeah, it's a choice. Yeah, a choice, it's yeah. not. It's not like I've. Um, yeah, it's not like there's been. Um, I've been. You know, had to join national service and go fight for my country. I'm not. Yeah, it's not something I've had to do. <laughs> out. Yeah, against my free will, I've chosen to make yeah. them. So, whether <clears> sacrifice <throat> is the right word, I don't. I don't know. But um, yeah, definitely missed out on. I don't know, I haven't missed out because I've had these amazing adventures. Oh. So, <laughs> it's, um, yeah, I've been lucky with work. So, I've been lucky that I can work uh, in the family business. So, I've been able to go leave work for, you know, a couple of months to go on a, an expedition and come back into the job. So, I guess if I didn't have, if I wasn't fortunate to have that, I would maybe have, my career would have, wouldn't it be, you know, if I, if I was a career-driven person, it wouldn't have been as successful, you could say, I don't know. Um, have I sacrificed anything else? I think I've, you know, I don't, th I don't think I really have. It's hard. It's quite a different, interesting question, that actually, yeah. isn't it? Because I mean, you, know, for example, I remember once I was, um, I was, had a holiday book to go over my mate's sport climbing in Spain, and the conditions on the Grand Jurass came in really good. And it's like if you want, if you don't live in the Alps, but you want to get some of the classic routes done, you've got to be able to just make those decisions. So. Yeah, I phoned a mate, so, oh, yeah, the, um, it was the Colton Max in really good condition. Sure, yeah, yeah, I'm meant to be in Spain, but I'm, my mates will understand, I'm sure. <laughs> and, yeah, so that was, yeah, instead of going to Spain, I went, we just flew out to the Alps when did some, yeah, climbed an amazing route on the Grand Jurass. And mm -hmm. So they're not sacrificed, but I think you've got to be prepared to make adjustments yep. to, if you don't actually live in the mountains, to, to actually get yeah. stuff done. Perhaps adjustments is a better yeah, 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 word, yeah, yeah, yeah. choice of words yeah. than, than sacrifice. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's not like I, you know, I haven't got any children, so it's I haven't missed hmm. growing up with my kids or anything like that be, by being away for a month at a time in the mountains or anything like that. And, and I mean, I, I've, I'm in a fortunate position with work that I can take the extended time off to go do the trip, hmm. so I haven't had to sacrifice a career for it either or anything. Um, so, yeah. Um, um, the steps from climbing to alpinism alpinism how did that work for you i mean was it do you think it was always about alpinism for you yeah or did that so it was kind of a natural progress or was it kind of that you rediscovered something or that you discovered something that made you go into the alpinism no i think i think for me alpinism alpinism was always the end game i'd always and you know, i'd read all these books like we were saying earlier and i think for me getting into climbing was was the stepping stone to get to the Alps and and eventually to the greater ranges. I never I never didn't expect it to happen, but I think it was definitely I enjoyed the I enjoyed the mountains, I enjoyed climbing. 
and the two go, you know, alpinism is the natural progression. So I think I did a very traditional British introduction to it. You know, I started rock climbing, started going to Scotland in the winter, went to the Alps in the summer, went to the Alps in the winter, um, and then eventually to the to the greater ranges. So yeah, I think I think my, my end game, so to speak, you know, my end goal was always to get into alpinism from starting climbing. It's that's what it was the reading the books. I think it was Joe Tasker's book, This Game of Ghosts, about them um, living, you know, ten of them crammed in a flat in Chamonix type thing and just, you know, spending the winters in Chamonix. That that's I just found that really really interesting and I yeah, I think I always wanted to get get into alpinism. How would you describe your Chamonix? Like your, your, your take on Chamonix, Chamonix. Your, th your thoughts on Chamonix? Uh, my thoughts on Chamonix, it, it's a big adventure playground. Um, it's an amazing place. And I've, I think I've spent five or six winters there. I've never lived there full time, but I've spent a lot of time you know, doing the typical, driving the airport transfer driving, the usual, <laughs> usual jobs that yeah. people do to make it work out there. Um, I, had, I had one winter where I just worked really hard all summer saved up and went out and just um, climbed for a full winter which was you know, did a few odd jobs whilst I was there um, but no Chamonix's good it's a it's a it's a strange place it's an interesting place and I've got a lot of my best friends live there and I, I do I don't spend as much time there as I used to and I really I do miss it quite a lot um, not Chamonix specifically but just the people there and the and the access to the mountains for tra it's training you know just for training and things like that it's an amazing place I don't, you know, I, don't, I don't think there's anywhere else like it in the world where you can have such easy access to the mountains. I went, I was there last summer for a, a quick visit. Uh, I went up with a mate. We did, we got the first telefreak up to the the plan. Did the did the Frendo spur, which is sort of a thousand meter, fairly straightforward north face route, but really good fun. And then we were back down in Chamonix by got the lift back down. I think we we're back down by eleven o'clock in the morning having brunch. Which there's not many places in the world like commute, where you can commute to the you, you can do a, a north face in the morning and <clears throat> be back down. Yeah, okay, it's the north face. Thing. It's more on the big classic north face, but still, it's a really cool, fun, <laughs> fun outing. And it's just yeah, it's just a, it's a it's a it's a pretty fun place. It's, um, for me, there was there wasn't really any work I could do in Chamonix. Um, I, I had my ties when I work back at home, which although I kept trying to. Um, I thought I wanted to live in Chamonix. I always kept getting drawn back home and I tried to make it work, you know, doing my work at home in Chamonix, but that just wasn't going to happen, unfortunately. Um, so for me, it's it's a difficult, I think, unless you're a guide or you've got, you've got your own business that you can run from Chamonix, it's, you know, to actually have a a career where you can make the most of the mountains is quite, it's quite a difficult one mm -hmm. to do. So, um, so yeah, I, you know, to me, Chamonix will always be a special place and, you know, I'm sure I'm gonna have friends that will be living there all the time. So it be, it will, it has been, and it still will be a big part of my life. And I'd like to get back to be able to spend a bit more time out there, which is the plan in the future. So, um, when it comes to alpinism, if you were forced to kind of put into words the like your philosophy on it or the emotions that you have about it, that like what what it is with alpinism that attracts you, what it is with alpinism that that keeps you there? Yeah, I think it's, um, I don't think there's one um, specific thing. I think it's just there's, for me, it's the whole draw, it's the whole package almost. It's the being out in the mountains, ex experiencing you know, nature in its rawest form. And uh, you know, I was looking at some of the photos I was showing last night from Linksar. 
and some of the light, the sunsets and the natural light and the natural beauty that we got to experience. And you, you, it makes you feel very humble that you managed to, you've been there to experience that. And I think combine that with, with climbing and challenging yourself physically and mentally, which is a big part for me, um, and exploring the unknowns on climb peaks and that and combining that with being with one of your best mates doing it. Yeah. It's just the whole the whole package that's involved. And it's just it's just good fun. It's just really good fun. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's a strange one. I know I know alpine climbing isn't everybody's cup of tea, but and it's hard trying to explain to someone who's not into it what the draw is in it because you know it's cold, it's miserable at times, but but you know when you when you get a north face in really good condition and you just romp up it really fast, it's it's just so it's such good fun. And it's you know, combining all your skills of climbing into one one thing and kind of the mental part of it and the uh... yeah there's a, I think alpine climbing and especially when you're on a route for a few days the mental side is way more important what, than what people think mm. um, I'm certainly not the fittest climber out there but I think what I discovered when I first got into climbing I could actually I didn't mind pushing myself uh, and I think the head game in alpine climbing is just so important you know, being able to, your body's feeling completely depleted. You're you're feeling completely down. Um, you just you know, excuse the French. You're feeling just fucked. <laughs> um, and you just, but being able to tell yourself that you can carry on, that you, there's that there's that barrier and go, you know, where you, your head say no, nah, stop now. But you, you know you've got it in you to carry carry on. And it is when you're on a face for like five days. It is it's a, it's a big, big big mental battle to. To keep, keep keep you know keep the motivation up to keep going and stuff and it's just yeah it plays yeah it just it's mind games and I heard I heard other people like saying about being on exposed uh, in exposed terrain like that is the thought of I shouldn't be able to be here but yeah. I am yeah the kind of a, kind of a surreal feeling to it and yeah. I, I guess that is something that you think yeah. of as well it's it's, it's like kind of saying back to the sunsets that. You know, we're we're digging into the side of a mountain at six thousand eight hundred meters. You've got the whole Karakoram just bathed in that blood red sunlight, and it's just it's like yeah, I shouldn't. Not once when I was growing up did I ever think I'd be able to be in this position to experience that. And yeah, you, know, you think how few people have actually managed. You feel very lucky because it's not every day you get to experience that sort of thing, and and the exposure and like you say, it's like humans weren't designed to be up there <laughs> it's not your natural progression in you know you kids go play football and cricket or whatever but yeah it's suddenly you find yourself well this is pretty special and pretty yeah very lucky to to have the opportunity because you've got to remember not everybody has the opportunity to do this not not because of the the money side or the trip but just you know where you grow up and the life you know you know we live in the modern world and it, we should we should take it for granted you know we we shouldn't take it for granted that we have the ability to go on these trips. We have the ability to travel for, um, you know, without any restrictions on those borders and stuff. And yeah, I think suddenly when you strip it back to that, you realise that there's people who are fighting for lives because of famine or whatever. And and then you know we're there just having, you know, having this amazing time. It's suddenly like, well, actually, we're very lucky to just to be able to do it in the first place, let alone actually experience it. It's yeah. And it's I, I'm, I'm, I can imagine that it's kind of a mind-boggling thought as well that. The fact that you're probably well, especially on Linksar, that you were probably uh, like the first people in the planet's history to ever touch these rocks and to ever yeah, that's got a 
But I think that's... It's got to play a role as well. Yeah, and it's the same on, I think, yeah. I think that's the, that was the draw to Link's are for, for definitely for John and for myself. It's the unknowns. And I think that's the whole draw of trying new routes out in the greater ranges. It's nothing's guaranteed. You know, your chances of success is minute. Yeah, I, I, I'm sure a statistician or a mathematician <laughs> can, uh, can work out some complicated equation to give you a percentage figure, but there's just so much against you in the first place. So that's the chat, you know, n- um, not having a guaranteed outcome is the first thing that I think draws you there. It's the, you know, you're taking your chances of against the weather, the conditions, everything. And it's just the unknown. You don't know what's going to be around the next corner. You know, link, with Lynx R especially, you couldn't, we couldn't see the mountain from anywhere. We didn't know what the summit ridge was like. Unfortunately, we still don't know what the summit ridge is like because we didn't get to have a, a, a go at it. But um, yeah, it's that just, just pitching yourself against the mountain and it's, you know, you and your mate, a rope, start the bomb, try and get to the top. And just, it's that, Knowing you've got the skill to overcome what you'll find, but not knowing what you're going to find if you go in, <laughs> and then yeah, it's just just the unknowns about it. Um, could you describe the lure and attraction of Type Two fun? Type Two fun. <laughs> what is yeah. Type Two fun? Type Two fun. <laughs> it's all, um, yeah, it, it, I think that's the, the the term we use to try and convince ourselves we actually enjoyed what we did. I mean, yeah, there's definitely times when you're climbing, you're hating it. You know, you've got hot aches in your hands and feet, and you're thinking, why am I not just into beach holidays, sitting sitting <laughs> back with my girlfriend, having enjoying a nice cold beer on the beach? Um, but yeah, type two fun is when you get down and you, you reflect on what you've done. That actually was fun. It actually was. Maybe at times there were times of it that weren't fun, but the whole thing, the reward and the and the but, you know. I guess some people say it's almost like a drug. I don't, I don't think it's like in a drug where the, it's the addiction, but just the adrenaline and the buzz you get from it, to, you know, whether you've done. And I think I'm maybe mellowing a bit because now I get that I get that same buzz if I just go out and do a really classic easy route and enjoy it, and it's fun at the time. I get almost as much of a buzz from that now as I do from um, trying a really hard route and maybe having a bit of a, not as fun time on it but yeah the type two fun is i think i think it's what we we convince ourselves to make us go back again <laughs> but no it is you know it, there are times you're not going to enjoy every minute of it times where it's pretty miserable and you kind of and you get scared i get scared yeah. and i think it's getting scared is what keeps you alive as well it's that you know, it's not having that blasé confidence to just go. It's, it's kind of your spider it's that reality sense. check. It's that, that little yeah, little thing, on, little yeah. voice in the back of your head that tells you, no, just just, just think about this. But where are your limits when it comes to the being being uncomfortable and being, I don't know, cold and, and scared? Um, like, can you handle cold? Like cold, for instance. Is, is, that, a, is that a big... Um, is that a big obstacle for you? Well, obviously God, I not. Think, I think it's not. Yeah, obviously the cold is a limiting factor, but you you dress dress accordingly. Uh, but I think I think that stems back to that that mental game that we were talking about earlier. It's yeah, you get cold, you get scared, but it's being able to push yourself a bit beyond that, especially with the actual conditions. But I think with this with the being scared bit, that's that's there for a reason. And it's up to you how far you push that. Other you know, people like to push themselves a bit further than others for being scared. But but when you say to coming over overcoming the cult, yeah, there's 
that's a, a fit there is a physical limit on the cold it's yeah there are it's not you can't just keep pushing it otherwise you are going to get hypothermia or you know, you're going to lose your fingers you're going to lose your toes <laughs> so i think things like cold there is a physical limit of what you're capable of and that's down that but that's also down to equipment and how you prepare the, you know, the equipment you've prepared for the trip and it's it's taking the right equipment to the right climb if that makes sense you know taking the right boots not taking your summer boots on a <laughs> on a winter alpine climb and things like that so so yeah but i think you can put a physical limit on that side of things but the being scared that's i think that's more of a mental limit and how far you're willing to push it and each person's perception of that is is their own and i think it's important when you've got a climbing partnership that you don't try and push your partner past what their acceptance level of being scared is because otherwise they're definitely not gonna have fun and you're probably not gonna be talking when you get down (laughs) (laughs) as a person with a very deep voice i'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns but a deep voice doesn't sell b2b and advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell b2b either that's why if you're a b2b marketer you should use linkedin ads LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. These experiences of, of pushing yourself and, and, and willingly exposing yourself to being uncomfortable, do you think that this works as a tool to kind of... Um, does that affect your view on the comforts of modern society? That's a big... Um, big big mouthful yeah no I see I see where you're going with it um, I think I enjoy both I like modern comforts as well <laughs> yeah yeah of course but, but, um, but maybe do you think you do you think you enjoy it even more now that you you know what it's like to stay away a month on yeah I think it's I mean when you come back it's strange when you go away for a trip and you're away for maybe two months um, one of the 
the thing often you know this will be to Nepal or Pakistan and I know it sounds really stupid what but one of the best things of coming back is turning the tap on and having a glass of cold water yeah. straight out the tap which is something we just take for granted yeah. day in day out but that was exactly uh, exactly where I was yeah, going it, at. but you suddenly you know out there you, you've got to drink bottled water you've got to boil it you can't drink the water out the taps uh, and you're having a shower for example you've got to make sure you're in the shower and you don't you know once you get back to Kathmandu don't breathe it don't drink it don't swallow any of the water in the shower and it's just the, I think it's the simple things like that 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 you suddenly appreciate massively but I think it because we're that used to them you maybe appreciate for a week when you get back from a trip <laughs> and then you're just back to taking it yeah. for granted right. but yeah no it definitely does make you and I think that's one of the things I look forward to most coming back is just turning the contact mm. on and having a mm. it's like you don't have to drink a boil water uh, you know to sterilise it and then let it cool to get a cold drink you just <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, it does. It does make you appreciate. It. But I think, unfortunately, as a society in the West, we're so used to those modern comforts, we you soon just slip back into yeah. just accepting them as normal again, oh. and you forget. But it is the whole travelling to to the likes of Nepal and Pakistan. It does. It is. It is. Adds, for, pers- adds perspective. I guess. Yeah, it adds perspective to life in general. I think. Um, you know, I just had an average middle-class upbringing in Yorkshire. Parents worked really hard, um, and you know, we we didn't we yeah we didn't have a I didn't have a super privileged life. But I you know, if we needed stuff, there was the ability to have what was needed. Um, there was never excess, but it was just you know we didn't we never went hungry for food or anything like that. We just had an average mm. you know middle-class upbringing, and <clears throat> and I think it's very humbling then to go out and it just make you realise that actually you know it's well there's a big big disparity in the world yeah from a global perspective yeah, yeah. you cannot complain about yeah, anything anything no i can't yeah we try to when we do but at the end of the day we can't oh. and it was really interesting the last trip to pakistan uh, we had this really nice cook uh, a guy called sakat uh, and he was also often the the cooks that we have at base camp they don't speak that much english so you can kind of communicate a little bit you know you can have a very basic one but you can't because they're they're from the app the, the local villages they haven't been they haven't learned you know, English and we, I can't speak their local language, unfortunately. But Sakawa had, um, he'd worked in a lot of restaurants. He was from the local area, from a proper traditional, very, you know, very, you know, just a traditional Pakistani village upbringing. But he'd worked in a lot of restaurants in the big cities and he spoke really good English. Mm-hmm. So it was really interesting to be actually sit down and have conversations and learn about his, uh, his upbringing and what it was like to grow up in a s- small village. And he was telling us that, you know, they, he maybe I think he, I can't remember exactly maybe ten brothers and sisters he had, but and just just as if it's normal he said yeah four, four of my brothers died whilst uh, they were road builders and four four have died in the process, and he just he just said it like I'd say to you yeah I, I tripped over and sprained my ankle on that yeah. run the other day, and it suddenly you realise that wow life yeah it's a very different reality out there, and it was really interesting to actually be able to speak to him and learn a lot about about it from you know. <clears throat> A lot of the people out there who can speak English, like the liaison officers, have had not have had a very privileged lifestyle for that area. Um, so it was really, really, really interesting to get to know what it was really like to grow up in a small, small village out there. But do you ever, in that moment or in a, a situation like that, and now, please don't get me wrong, but do you do you ever feel like like a a big asshole, like because yeah. you come from this privileged background yeah, yeah. and you just 
go there just for fun. Yeah. But then it's again, of course, I mean, I don't mean it like that because, of course, you bring you bring money and yeah. and, and 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 work opportunity, job opportunity for them and so on. And it's not like, you, but that, what you said earlier, it's not like you're going on a, a medical expedition yeah. or something. But do you ever get that those feelings? And how do you how do you handle it? How do you cope with it? Um, you do, you do, you get the feelings. I, I think we've actively made that choice to go knowing that. So you can't, yeah, you feel bad about it, but I guess you justify it that we are bringing work to the yeah. local area and helping them. Uh, and definitely in Pakistan, they need a lot more of people, tourism to mm-hmm. help the help, help the local economy for the for the you know they're all um, subsistence farmers a lot of them and their only cash is from portering or cooking for expeditions but yeah no you you've hit the nail on the head you know you <clears throat> we're going on this mountain having this really hard time suffering and you know these guys are just well you're on your holiday <laughs> well, yeah. don't complain too much <laughs> you know we sat around in base camp complaining the weather's not good and it's like they just lost half lost half, half the family yeah, yeah and it's just you suddenly it does make yeah it, it's like we were saying it just puts it in perspective doesn't yeah. it and I think as long as you're not too blasé about it it's good mm. but they they're psyched to see you they're, you know, they know you're bringing money into the area there, and they're genuinely really nice people usually in the mountains when you get to meet the people in the mountains whether it's Nepal Pakistan you know in Peru wherever they, they are yeah I'm sure there's a bit of they're putting the show on because they want to be nice to keep you coming back but when they are I've always been made to feel so welcome in these places, and mm. it's. I don't think. Hopefully, they don't begrudge us being there. I don't, I don't know. It'd be interesting to see, but mm. maybe they just. I, I think they look at. They don't just look at us as a way to earn a living. I think they they're excited that people are coming to see their country as well. Mm. So. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, no, but I know what you mean. It's just so. Yeah, yeah. These people are struggling yeah. for life, just working every hour of the day to survive. Not. Not to save up to go on a holiday, just yeah, they're they're just trying to survive, mm. and um, but to be honest, they're pretty happy, mm. and that's that's the other reality check. You know, the kids, the kids are just running around in the muck, messing about with each other, having a laugh. Couldn't they're be not, happier, and they couldn't be happier. They're not sat on an iPad, collecting staring at Pokemons. the TV or collecting Pokemon's <laughs> there, and. Okay, they they're going out with a lot of things, but you kind of if you strip it back to the raw basics, who's the happiest? Mm. And I know I know they've got, there's a lot of situations that make their that would make they they do have a lot of very difficult situations. Mm. But when you actually just look at the kids out there, they don't know any different, and they are just yeah very different seeing kids playing over here. They're just mm. having a laugh with the mates, mm. and yeah, no, it's um, it's interesting. Um, going back to uh, what you started uh, talking about camaraderie and in and friends friendship in, in when it comes to alpinism, um, but you always go climbing with people that are because I can imagine either you go climbing with only with people that are really good that you know that you love spending time with down from the mountain yeah like off the mountain, but I can also imagine that sometimes the even though you have the good friends in the city uh, or on the flats. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't necessarily... It's not going to work. <laughs> it, that, no, exactly. That doesn't necessarily yeah. make it a, a good match in the, yeah. in the mountains. And what are your thoughts on that? And well, I think you get... You know, you've got... Yeah, I've got, I've got friends that do a whole array of sports. I've got friends that don't climb that I like spending as much time with as I do friends that climb. And I think as you progress through climbing, you get to meet... Not progress, but as you get more involved in climbing... You, you meet people and you meet people at a similar level to you. You, you get your friends that you get on with and then you, you you talk about going away. So you're naturally going away with your 
with your friends, I guess. Um, so that most of my expeditions have been with two people, Nick Bullock and John Griffith, both, you know, you know love them both to bits. Um, I had some great times with both. And yeah, we, we're lucky we can climb at similar levels. Um, great climbing Nick's is really, really good climbing. So it's a hard pitch, you just send Nick up it. <laughs> um, and the same with John, John's just so fit in the mountains. It's it's perfect partnership. And, um, and yeah, I guess, it's probably through the climbing that they've become such good friends. You know, I wouldn't have met them if it wasn't for climbing. So, yeah, it's not like I'm just going away with my best mate for, who I grew up with because, yeah, we wouldn't step foot on the mountain. <laughs> but but, um, but I guess it's just you've, you've just learned that you appreciate time with them and you can spend time with them. And yeah, But it is important for you that you, that you know them for yeah. a long time, like before yeah. strapping in. Yeah. Because the way I understood it is that is not always the case. No. In many expeditions, you kind of get teamed up um, with, with, or not get teamed up, but you team up with people that you know of. Perhaps you've met them. Yeah. And But but it is very kind of like a, a business project, sort of. Yeah, I don't know. For me, no. I, I never class it as a business project. If you no, mean. but yeah. And... Um, for me, it's you, you've got to go away with someone you want to go away with. I wouldn't. I think. I think it depends what, on what sort of expedition you look at. If you're going on about, say, if you had a team, of, uh, a group of climbers from the same sponsor, and then went away on a, a rock climbing trip, that's that would be really good fun. Yeah. But I think going away on a big <clears throat> alpine trip where you're portal edge. Yeah, style. where you're where <laughs> where you just where you've got to have complete. You've got to have complete trust. You're not just doing a multi pitch couple of pitches of rock climbing. You've got to have complete trust in your partner and I think that's that's another reason for only going away with people you know you know how they think you know how they operate in the mountains you know you've got similar level levels of risk acceptance you know you're not going to have someone who's just a complete wild card who's going to risk want to push it push it push it um, so yeah for me you've got to go away with something you've climbed with before or that you know personally and, and you spend a lot of downtime in base camp you yeah. know and yeah you I worked out one one um, one year. I think I spent a quarter of the year away living in a base camp with Nick. So you've got to. <laughs> we did two trips one year, and um, yeah, we spent a lot of that time sharing a tent. <laughs> yeah, we're not not at the same tent in base camp, but just in close proximity. And it's it's like when you get to know someone really well, silences aren't awkward if that makes sense. You don't have to make polite conversation if one of you doesn't feel like chatting that day. It doesn't feel awkward that you're not talking or that you're reading your own books. If that does that make sense? So uh, how about that weather? Yeah, how's the weather out? Yeah, the weather's really good today, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> and I think that's important because you spend a lot. Of, you can't. Yeah. You want your own time as well. And but do you, do you ever like do you ever turn down offers of expeditions or being turned down? I'm not. I'm not good enough to be offered to go. <laughs> um, no, I, 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 I think maybe um, yeah, definitely I'm not not a world-leading alpinist that's going to get offers to go on expeditions. I climb for myself and I, I just climb my mates. Uh, and yeah, we try cool stuff and, and that's what it's about. So I wouldn't I wouldn't ever offer to go away. I wouldn't approach someone who I didn't know to go away on a trip in the first place. And I don't, I don't think I'd get approached by people I, I don't know, if that makes sense. I'm just, for me, it's about going away with the guys you do know. And it's, you know, I, I did a lot of climbing with um, Nick over the last 10 years we, we spent a lot of time in Chamonix together and you get and it, you get into that sort of partnership where you don't have to question each other 
and I think that's really important. You know that you know someone's if you're moving together on quite technical ground, you know if it gets too bad, he's going to stop and put a belay in rather than risking it. Mm. Or if there's a decision to make on which way to go, I'll trust his judgment, and you know I won't question it. And he knows I won't question it, and vice versa. If I'm leading and trying to decide which whether to take that that goulot, that that couloir, or that rib. I'll make the decision and we won't question each other's judgment and say, oh, you've gone the wrong way. And that's that's really important, I think. Just not almost second-guessing, but just being being happy with the other person's decision without having to second-guess second yeah, second it or rethink it. And that's, that's, I, mean, that's I think, that's a special partnership for sure. You're a part of the, the North Face team now. Uh, what does that mean, like, f- f- for your for your career? So I guess I don't, yeah, I don't look at climbing as being my career as such. I've got my career that, yeah, yeah, I climb a... Or your passion. My passion, yeah, it's definitely my passion. And I'm very fortunate to work with the North Face to help fulfill some of those dreams and those trips. Um, They're great. Yeah, the the guys we work with in the UK and the European team, they're they're very supportive and understanding. And and for me personally, they they also understand that I'm not a full-time climber and that I do have a life outside of climbing so I can't commit as much to them as some of the other athletes but at the same time I'm not asking for as much back I guess uh, but it's it's given you know obviously financially wise for trips it's helped they've helped support a number of my trips you get the kit um, and also you get to meet some really cool people as well um, I've never actually been away climbing with any of the the guys I know from the North Face team just because yeah I've got my climbing partners I climb with already and um, and I guess that's that maybe brings back to what we were talking about earlier. Although I'm part of the North Face team, um, and full of some of the, the world's best climbers, I, I don't know the guys that well. So, but I so I just I climb with my yeah mates that I enjoy climbing. But it's it's good. It's yeah. We were at the the Mountain Festival the other week and hanging out with the other European athletes. They're, they're such a good chilled bunch of people. That they're really good fun to hang out with. Um, and yeah, it's definitely given me some opportunities for trips. I've done more trips than I would have done without the support, that's for sure. But at the same time, we're, we're very lucky in the UK that we've got, there's a good grant system to to help climbers go away on expeditions. We've got the Mount, the Mount Everest Foundation, yeah. the, the Nick Escort um, grant, the, the BMC supply grant. So I think in the UK, we're, as someone trying to get into alpine climbing, we're very fortunate for young people that you can apply for these grants and funding to help go away on your first trips and yeah most of my trips have been heavily supported by these these like charitable hmm. grants um, and not every country has that so no. I think in the UK it's sadly a lot of the grants are in place in memory of climbers that have been yeah. killed in the mountains but um, no it definitely gives you a lot of opportunities and yeah working with the North Face has just made it a lot easier to I can come up with a trip an idea and it's made it a lot easier to um, to fulfil that, but by no means has it put pressure on me to do trips, which is good. Um, I think this, you can't you can't have a commercial pressure to go do these sort of expeditions, if that makes sense. Uh, and they realise that when they support a trip, they know it's not a guaranteed success. A lot of a lot of questions you get asked is, hey, do you feel pressure from your sponsors? <laughs> and the straight answer is no. I've never had a sponsor that's put pressure on me to do something I don't want to do. You get a call from, from Connor at Anchor and yeah. I, I got this I got this summit scoped out for yeah, you. Yeah. You need to finish this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah no, it's yeah, it's um yeah, I think that's that's full respect to the companies I work with. There's never any pressure to push yourself. 
Um, speaking about pushing yourself, uh, you you got a you got a lot of attention for the Link SAR project. Um, how would you describe how would you describe Link SAR? The mountain, the the climate, the nature, the surroundings. What what is that? It's it's um, the Karakoram. Yeah, it's in the Karakoram, in northern Pakistan. Pakistan. Yeah, um, bordering China the, and yeah, Afghanistan. close to close to India. Yeah, so um, it's in the a valley called the Charakusa. Uh, and yeah, links. I don't know what I think. The, the attention it gets helps from John's photos, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> like John is an amazing photographer as well. as being a, an amazing alpinist. Um, so yeah, there's always going to be amazing photos when we come back from a trip with John. So that definitely helps the attention. But Link Links are is um, it's a really cool mountain in the Charakusa, and the Charakusa is probably one of the more climbed out valleys in in the Karakoram. Uh, there's been a lot, you know, it's K7, K6 that have seen a lot of attempts and a lot. You know, there's been a lot of lower climbs done, very technical climbing done in that area. But for some reason, Linksar still was remained un- unclimbed. Uh, it's kind of, it's a weird mountain. It's hidden away right in the back corner. So you can't actually see it from anywhere. Um, you can't, from often when you're in a base camp, you, you camp below your mountain and you can actually see and scope the route for a, and that yeah, it's a really important part is scoping the route to mm. figure out where the natural ice falls are, you know, where where if there's an avalanche, where the run out is and but Link Sound was very different. You can't we couldn't actually see the face we we're gonna climb until we were right under it. And that involved uh, a clom- uh, an approach up a really gnarly glacier. So you didn't want to just go up there to you, you, it was too <laughs> dangerous to yeah, it was too dangerous to go up there and hang out for fun. <clears throat> um so yeah, it was a really interest it's a very complex mountain. Um and there was we we our idea was to try and climb the northwest face to the west summit, and then there was about a kilometer long ridge at just under seven thousand meters um, to then get to the main summit, which was only was only sort of like hundred meters higher than the west summit, but it was a kilometer away, and it looked like it was going to have some really quite technical climbing on it, and I think that was the it's kind of like a stepping stone for me and John. It was seeing if we were capable of that technical climbing at at that altitude, um, so it was really. We had an amazing time on Linksar. Um, it's yeah, we didn't achieve what we set out to achieve, which was the to get to the main summit. Uh, we only got to the west summit, uh, but still, we, it, we we classed it as a really successful trip because it, both physically, mentally, just the journey, everything involved in it. John and got you really, came back. We came back, yeah, came back. Okay. Uh, and I was trying to in the um, last night when we were chatting about Linksar at the at the shop. It was I was trying to yeah, saying you know, was it a success? And because John and I got down, we'd had a great, and we thought, well, we didn't make the main summit, but yeah, it was still a success. Hey, we, we came back, mm-hmm. had an amazing sight experience of seven days in the mountains with my mate. Um, it, what what the mountain threw at us, and we, you know, John got really ill with a fever at like nearly just under 7,000 meters, which was just, yeah, which was really, really, that was quite um, just, I've never had a, such a feeling of helplessness. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think, for me, the thing about climbing is as long as you're honest about what you've done and how you've done it, and if you're going out there having fun in the mountains, it's it's a success. And I think that's the key is we you know, it's just the you've got to be honest about what you've done. Yeah, we 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 did actually want to climb the main summit. We didn't achieve that, but we got to the west summit and had a good time. Um, rather than rather than just suddenly oh we only got to the west summit, we better better say that was our original goal than <laughs> it was. You know, it wasn't our, our original goal, but it was good. It was good fun. And this was the not the first time that you were on the mountain. No, no, this was my second time. 
Mm. Uh, it was John's fourth time. <laughs> mm. So John had tried it. Uh, yeah, I tried it once before with me. He tried it with Will Sim back in 2012. Tried it with myself in 2013. I got I got really ill on that trip, unfortunately. I think I'd already I'd already set off with a a bit not as well as I thought it was. I'd, um, it turns out I'd got a post-viral fatigue from a virus earlier in the year, <laughs> and I didn't really notice it until I was really pushing myself physically, um, and that that smacked me for about a, a year and a bit. I didn't really just really blew my confidence actually because you weren't you know these you're not used to sight your body letting you down. I mean, as I, I used the term athlete in very <laughs> common as an as an athlete, you you're used to your body working, um, so to suddenly have it, you're you know being shut down by your, your body is quite it really it really blew my confidence actually for a while. So I took a bit of a while to get over and get fitness back. But then John went back in 2014 with Kevin Mahoney and tried it again, um, but got caught, got some really bad weather, and then we went back in 2015. Um, and yeah, got to got to the West Summit. But but about about that about going back to a kind of an unfinished project, couldn't that be? Isn't that isn't always? Um, I mean, it's good, of course, in the in the sense that you know what's you know what to expect, uh, you know what to expect. But isn't it a, a problematic side of it as well that you've that you uh that you might put yourself in the risk of yeah. oh we've put so much effort in we've put, put so much time in and we've done all of this so we can't turn back now and we need to finish this now and yeah definitely and i'd say we maybe fell foul of that a bit on links are um, because that's that that's kind of a, a one of the definitions of a summit fever yeah definitely yeah yeah and we probably <clears throat> when john john got ill at and we hit the ridge line at about 6,800 meters. So um, it was obvious we weren't going to get to the main summit then. To me, it was like the first night John got ill, it was like, right, we, how the hell am I going to get John off the mountain? Mm. I just assumed he was going to be deteriorate through the night. Uh, in the morning, he was a bit better. We, might, we spent a full day there and he got a bit stronger and a bit stronger. And the sensible decision would definitely to have been to go straight down the next day. But the West Summit was just, we knew it was so close and and definitely reachable. We'd done all the hard climbing. It was just yeah, quite an involved ridge, but it was it was definitely reachable. So we decided to carry on and get even higher, which with John in the state, he was probably wasn't the wisest decision. So maybe that was summit fever a little bit. Um, but at the same time, I think we we both knew we were pushing the boundaries at an acceptable level for us. We weren't going up ground we couldn't reverse um yeah the sensible thing given everything would to be go straight down whilst john was still fit and well enough to get down because mm. who knows what would happen happen if we went higher up and luckily we went higher up his fever did return that evening but he was he was good enough yeah he's fine to get down and um, you knew that you still had the weather window and we knew still with yeah. window and we knew that was our last weather window so yeah that was a little bit of summit fever but at the same time, we didn't carry on over the ridge to the main summit because we knew that was just <laughs> as much as we'd like to, being able to stare at it and think, oh, it's, <laughs> it was still miles away, yeah, a kilometre away, but so close, it felt so close. Um, so, yeah, we knew that wasn't an option, so summit fever didn't take off take off there. But going back to the whole Linksar thing, and you say it received quite a lot of attention because I think predominantly because a lot of John's photos are absolutely amazing of it. The, it, Lynx had seen no attention for a lot of years. 
and then last year, this year there were four teams trying it. Wow! <laughs> and I think that 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 shows what the internet does nowadays. Once mm. how easy information is to get out there, and it, you know people see stuff that everybody mm. else is trying and get get ideas. But yeah, apparently there were four teams to try links are this year. But they have, none have summited. So they got really bad weather. Um, British British guy uh, Tom Tom Ballard. He got really. They got to about six thousand eight hundred meters. I think. I think it was six eight they got two on but got caught in got caught in weather again it's and that's the thing with pakistan it's the it's mm. trying to get the weather so what month did you do this was it springtime we're in, or? Um, we're in july I think july, july okay, yeah okay. it was july mm-hmm. yeah we walked out on my birthday so yeah it was july. <laughs> <laughs> um but, but but these four teams they're they're kind of following your following your lead no or? two were trying it from a different side Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure where the other guys would, what line the other guys would try. But um, you think you will return? Um, I don't think so. To Linksar, there's two. You know, Link, Linksar is one, one trip in a mm-hmm. lot of amazing trips I've had. I know we're chatting about it now because it's the most recent. Um, but to me, there's too many places to go and visit. Yeah. You know, I'm not. I know I'm not going to do expedition climbing for the rest of my life. There's, I know the motivation for it will. I'm not one of these people that's going to want to carry on doing these trips till I'm 65. Yeah, I'd, I hope I'm still doing trips when I'm 65, but it'll be not every year, year in, year out. So to me, there's so many places to visit that going, I went back to Linksar twice. There's other mountains I've been back to twice, but I think after two times, I, I want to go try somewhere new because that's what it's, it's all about. It's about visiting different areas as well. Mm. Um, yeah, the reaching the summit is the main reason we're there, but it's also nice to experience the, the cultures and you know, see the other different areas. So, yeah, I'd like to go back to India. I think mm. like, I'm planning maybe, potentially maybe try and get to India this next year. We'll see. Um, you were nominated for Piolet d'Or yeah. in 2010. Yeah. How does that work? I mean, do you get nominated as a person or as an expedition? It's or an expedition as... route. Okay, so okay. myself uh, and Nick got nominated for that for a climb we did on Chang Himal, mm. which was really... How did that feel? Like being it was, nominated it was first, weird. the project and, and also the yeah, being like the, pro- the climbing was yeah. You don't set out to get nominated, by <laughs> but I think for me, I didn't, yeah, I never dreamed I'd get nominated for Pilot d'Or. And climbing, we don't climb for awards; we climb it for our own <laughs> personal satisfaction. But I think it was just a lot of people on. There were some really influential people who I respected on the jury that year. Um, so to just to have what we've done acknowledged by them almost was quite special the award side yeah to me it wasn't it wasn't important but it is it is a nice feeling to have something you've done recognized by your peers it just yeah it is yeah, it is a nice feeling there's no two ways about it um but yeah the shang himal was brilliant that was my second trip to the greater range second second proper trip to the great to nepal um i'd been the previous year of nick and we had our base camp completely robbed, so <laughs> we didn't do any climbing. In my really? Trip. Yeah, yeah, we did. Um, it was in 2008, I think. I went to Nick and I went to try a mountain called Peak 41, and we were doing it really on the cheap. So we didn't have a base camp. We had we had the permits, and we paid for the permits for Pete and done everything correct that way. But mm. we were trying to do it super cheap, so we didn't take a cook with us or anything. We just set had so some it was unmanned, yeah, unmanned base land. camp, and we just set it up in this really small little valley away from the main valley. And I think I don't, I'm not sure if the locals maybe thought we were trying to do it illegally uh, because okay. we didn't, or they were a bit 
grip be grudged because we hadn't employed any local cooks and stuff. Yeah. But we had permits and everything. Mm. Um, but yeah, we'd been up, we'd acclimatised on a, a little trekking peak nearby, gone back to the base camp. And then we'd gone down the valley just to rest at a low altitude at one of the tea houses for a couple of days before going back up to then try Peak 41. Uh, and we got back up and they'd just taken everything. <laughs> <laughs> so we'd left, we'd gone down with a little rucksack with you know, taking a sleeping bag and a down jacket and the books down to this tea house to rest for a couple of days. And went, so we'd left everything in the, in the tents, two tents. And we got back up and they'd just taken the tents down <laughs> and taken every single bit of kit we had. It was just like, Wow, I guess that's trip over then. <laughs> Which was really, it was really sad actually, because it was my first time in Nepal and I'd heard amazing things about Nepal and the Nepalese. Mm. And it was just like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> right, so this is what I <laughs> But you know, it's like everywhere. There's mm. a few bad apples. Of course. Everywhere. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I don't, I don't know why they did it. Um, I think it was a bit, they maybe thought we were doing it legally. They yeah. thought we, maybe they begrudged us because we weren't employing the local. Yeah locals but you know so yeah we walked in with i think four or six porters and then walked out with just a little rucksack each a few days later <laughs> but then she took took everything took the tents down took all our mountain bags all the food they left all our rubbish <laughs> but luckily we had some friends climbing in the area so we asked we asked them to send their they sent two of their porters over to okay. grab all our rubbish and carry that mm. out for us because we didn't have any way of getting, getting rid of it um, Shoving it in your hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, can't, um, so we walked out very frustrated from that. Light um, and fast. Yeah, yeah, that was light, light and fast. Walk out. Um, some very, um, I'm, I'm, let's just say I'm glad we didn't see anybody carrying our bags because no. I think I'd have been holding Nick back by the yeah. scruff of his neck. But yeah, so the year after, um, we went back to Nepal and had a much, much better trip. Mm. A beautiful mountain called Changi Mal, which was just, that was my first new route, prop, my first proper new route. And to, it was just this plumb line straight up this north face, and it was just it was just a dream. It was amazing. It all it went. It's one of those trips that just went really well. And we got there. We had a really good time at base camp. Uh, some friends walked in with us that were doing some trekking in the area, uh, and yeah, just started at the bottom, climbed to the top. Amazing. <laughs> took took a selfie. Took a selfie. Yeah. Took a big cheese summit selfie, and it was just one of those trips that just went well, mm. um, which. Memorable, the, the most memorable for the achievement, but sometimes they're not the most memorable because you haven't had that epic on it or something. You know, yeah, there were a few moments on it for sure, you know, but it was just just brilliant. Um, and it maybe gave me a bit of a false idea of what climbing in the Himalayas was like. I was like, oh, this is great, you just rock up and you, you climb a new route. And it's, um, but yeah, that was a, that was an amazing experience, Changi Mountain. And the line was to just climb, uh, yeah, it's the perfect line on a mountain, it's mm. a beautiful, pointy mountain. And we climbed straight up the centre of the North Face. Some really good climbing on it. And we had really good weather. And, yeah, got down. The weather broke just as we got down. And, yeah, got a really cool photo of me and Nick just sat at the bottom of the face when we've just spent full day descending. Just the grins just say all. <laughs> yeah, so that was a really... And, and, yeah, we were fortunate to get mm. nominated for the Pile d'Or for it. But, you know, that wasn't the, the memories for that trip out in the Pile d'Or. It's the, the climbing and the, the time. But, uh, but uh, about that, I mean, your thoughts of, of on yourself as a as a profile within the alpinism world um private like a role model or profile or kind of a i don't know celebrity but, but no but <laughs> definitely not a celebrity. no but, but you know what i mean i mean you are people recognize you now yeah some people i think i think very few people i think you've got to remember that alpinism I, I, is such a small 
of niche course. Sport. I mean, I, and I, but I don't mean I don't mean like being recognised in the street. Yeah. But I know. Yeah, I can go out for a meal without the yeah, paparazzi yeah. coming. <laughs> but I mean, but I mean, within the Alpine community, yeah. I mean, after all, you you've been nominated and so on. Yeah, but I think you have to. The Alpine community is really small. People know each other. People know people that are active anyway. And I think the great thing about alpinism is there's so many people out there doing stuff that you don't know about. There's so many dark horses of alpinism that are just... Yeah, I've, I guess I've kind of embraced the commercial side of it a little bit. To, it's You've kind of... I've, I haven't chosen to go into it, but I've got into it through working with companies. And it's been great. It's been... Yeah, don't get me wrong, I've enjoyed it. The great, it's great working with companies, helping work on kit and trying out new kit and stuff. But you've got to remember at the same time, there's as many people like me that are working with companies, and there's as many people, again, that no one knows about that are climbing just as hard. And I've almost got more respect for they're just out there doing it. Yeah. And I'd be, I'd be out there doing it, if, even if I wasn't a sponsored climber, I'd still be out there doing exactly what I'm doing now, if, you make, if that makes sense. It's, I'm in the fortunate position where it's easier to get some of the trips done now because I can get support from the North Face but even if I'd still be doing the same thing if I wasn't sponsored and I think that's the great thing about alpinism you've got the mix of the two people it's not we're not doing it no one's doing it for the money or for the for the you know for the fame or glory we're doing it because we just enjoy the bringing it down to basics and climbing we enjoy climbing for climbing and yeah but is there like a, a like a clash between the two kind of sides, I don't. I don't think so. No. I don't think so. Mm. Um, I, just, I just think yeah, there's a lot of people out there I respect that you know, names you can mention that you don't really, no one knows of, but they're just out there doing some pretty impressive, yeah, sure. impressive stuff. And, and I don't. There's definitely not a clash at all. I don't think it's um, if there's a clash, people are into it for the wrong reason, aren't they? Mm. <laughs> oh, sure. but, um, um, when it comes to your climbing and your skills, do you have like? Do you see a, a potential to uh, to to grow as a climber? Like, do you, like where do you want to improve? Do you do you have like you set up like goals for yourself? Yeah, I guess. Um, like, I got into climbing, rock climbing, um, and I kind of. I guess if we go back to the sac- how we were talking about sacrifices for these trips, I guess the one thing that I have sacrificed has been my rock climbing, because. I say because I'm not climbing all the time, so I go the the expeditions away are my holiday, mm. so I don't get to do as much actual rock climbing as I'd like to. So I think going forward, I'll, I see myself doing a lot more, a lot more rock climbing. I really like to improve my rock climbing because it's kind of plateaued for the last ten years. <laughs> you know, I look at um, you know, you look at the the grades I've climbed and I haven't really improved <laughs> much on the rock in the last. But you know, my alpine experience has gone up mm. twofold. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think I'd like to. I'd like to yeah definitely definitely get a lot more rock climbing done I think one of my my regrets from my climbing is training proper trainings kind of come through in the last few years for alpinism yeah we when I've been climbing it's been it's been my climbing that's kept me fit being out in Chamonix you're out doing stuff during the day that's I've never specifically trained if that makes sense training to me has been climbing it's been going out on the road bike it's going out running in the evening but I think one of my Bigger, biggest regrets is that I haven't, and I, I don't have the time to do it now, but it would have been just interesting to see if with a proper training structure, how fit it could actually have got. If, I don't know if that makes sense for what I'm trying to, 
I'm trying to get to. I've, I think I've missed that opportunity for sure because I don't, with work, I don't have time to train full time now. But I think it would have been really interesting to see if I'd taken a, not a more professional approach, but if you'd actually really knuckled down and trained really, really hard and scientifically and properly, how fit you could have got. But maybe that would have taken the fun away from it as well. <laughs> yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it's to me, climbing's climbing and training is just going out, riding my bike and running and, you know, never really taken a sign, you know, proper approach to it. And maybe that's why I've done it because I enjoy it still. You know, if you start doing it, it may get a bit boring. I might not have embraced it as much. So yeah. I don't know. Would it, but I think it would have been, I don't think I wasted some time in when I was, had the free, the free time I did in Chamonix. I didn't waste it, but I look back now and I'm thinking, oh, I could have maybe got more out of it than I did. But I had fun as well. Yeah. You get it's out important. to the bar of your mate. And in the, in the <laughs> yeah, end, yeah. that's what that's, what that's what mate, yeah. So it's, yeah. Do you have any, um, like, future goals and, and dreams that you that you want to and that you can share, like, upcoming yeah, expeditions? Yeah, I've got, I've got nothing, nothing definite planned at the moment. Um, I'd quite like to go to India next year. I've never been to India and I've always been attracted by that. I think I see my my trips in the future being maybe shorter trips to lower altitude peaks because I think we've we've tried when we've gone to site Linksar, we went to um, Chamlang last year which is a seven thousand three hundred meter peak in Nepal. I think you you've got you've got to give yourself the time mm. to get acclimatized, to get the weather. You can't you I've learned you can't rush it and I know I won't have as much free time to to commit to them as that. So I, I can see my maybe still doing a big trip like that once every two years or something, but in between doing a smaller, shorter trip to a, a lower, more technical peak, you know, a lower 6,000 meter peak where there's hopefully more chance of getting up it as well. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know, maybe I'd like to go to India next year. And yeah, still definitely, to, to me, one of my big goals is to climb a, climb a cool new route on a 7,000 meter peak. And I still haven't done that. We didn't get up links are. And I'd like to, that's something I definitely would like to to achieve one day, tick and I off hope, the list. yeah, to tick, not just tick <laughs> the bit. I think, yeah, tick off the list and <laughs> and do it. Be you know, to me as an alpinist, that's what it's about. Mm. Because there's a big, massive difference between until you've tried it. I don't think you realise it. The difference between climbing at low six thousands as opposed to getting up to seven thousand. It doesn't sound much height difference, but there's suddenly a lot more stuff that comes into factor. Acclimatization is way more important. You can. You can go onto a, a, a say a six thousand four hundred meter peak, and you don't have to be super well acclimatized because you're not actually at high altitude for that long. But as soon as you the complexities involving when you take it up to over seven thousand, it's just I think it's a very different ball game. And it on paper it shouldn't be, but it is for some reason. I don't know why. It's just there's all these factors that make it. So to me, I, I really would like to do a, a big new route on a I think on a you know on a seven thousand meter peak. So it would be a one of the one of the nice achievement, but, um, but yeah, there's so many other adventures in climbing to be had as well. It's you know I've had so many good trips to Alaska. Hmm. Uh, I definitely yeah, you, liked you, you had a, a go at uh, or you, you summited Denali. Yeah, we uh, I climbed the uh, Slovak direct with uh, with Nick, which still to this day is one of my best experiences <clears throat> in the mountains. It was just perfect combination of amazing climbing. We got hit by some weather, so we had the the epic type two bit was thrown <laughs> into it, and just yeah, just absolutely special route. So then, mm-hmm. I think yeah, we we summited and we were really disappointed there wasn't. You know, Denali is this really popular mountain, and um, 
we, we got up onto where we joined the last Summit Ridge, where we should join the normal route, and we kind of thought there'd be loads of people there. <laughs> and A, for the factor of just, we'd had this pretty wild experience being pinned down by storm for 16 hours in this tent, not knowing if we're going to get out of it. And we kind of, to see people would have been really nice. <laughs> but also just to go, like, we've just done that. <laughs> and I know, I know as Brits, we're meant to be modest and not shout about it, but... We, we were just grinning from ear to ear and we just wanted to tell people what we'd done because it was just, just not to show off, just we were so psyched at what the route we just climbed because it was an amazing route and there was no one there and, it was, <laughs> and we discovered that the weather had been that bad, no one had summited Denali for the last three days and we'd been struggling up the big, you know, nearly 3,000 metre south face. But yeah, that was Slovak Direct goes down as probably one of my all-time mm-hmm. favourite climbing experiences. Just the commitment, the remote factor, the the style of the climbing was really good you don't often get such good quality climbing on a big route there might be one or two pitches are really good but this had like 1200 meters of really good enjoyable fun fairly safe hard technical but fairly safe good gear climbing which was was really good and then yeah we got hit the cassian ridge and got some bad weather and yeah just uh yeah definitely i think nick and i agreed that was one of our are better adventures in the mountains. So that's um, that's mixed climbing then. Yeah, mixed With climbing. Like yeah, ice so axes and ice axes. All the climbing. Yeah, that's. I say I'm not a super strong rock climber, so that's mm. what alpinism for me is what I like. It's using a bit of rock climbing, a bit of ice climbing. You, you're mm. using your axes on the rock. Yeah. You, know, you keep climbing your axes and crampons all the time. Um, and yeah, it was really good. Just like being in Chamonix, really awesome little ice. You know, going up little ice runnels and yeah, really. Really, really good. And the good thing about Denali was, um, it was um, f- took us four and a half hours to get down the normal route. <laughs> so was, we spent four days climbing up, and it just took <laughs> you know, just over four hours to get really easy to sense. So that was the, yeah. that was the good thing about Denali, mm-hmm. which people don't get. Um, mates back home, it's like, well, why didn't you just go up that way? And it's like, well, yeah, <laughs> that's what that's not what it's all about. Yeah, that's what it's all about. So, <laughs> so yeah. Um, thank you so much for taking your time. Do you have anything you would like to add? Um, no, I think we've covered it all. I think we've covered it all. No, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Husky is produced in cooperation with Naturkompaniet and it is powered by Nordic Green Energy, Sweden's greenest energy company with 100% renewable energy sourced from solar, wind, and hydropower. Find them at nordicgreen.se. The music is made by Joel Mull. your passion into a business of Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com records. 
Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.